Welcome to Harrison Church. Today we officially launched our new communication tool, Realm. If you haven't registered yet, visit onrealm.org to sign up, download the app, and check your email for the registration information from Harrison Church. This week is the first week of Lent, and Pastor Shane starts us off by talking about a society that has full stomachs and empty lives. Well, here we are. It's the first Sunday of Lent. That means new series. I don't have my chair now. I was telling my wife a few weeks ago, like, you know, I'm not as exhausted in the afternoon as I used to be. And she says, because you've been sitting down. Well, I'm standing again. So I want to go ahead and just read our text this morning. It's a very brief one uh, for our theme today. It's from Matthew's Gospel, the fourth chapter, Jesus' temptation by the devil in the dry wilderness of Judea near the Dead Sea. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our gospel. And the words will be behind you here on the screen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now the then means, uh, just to keep in context, Jesus has just been baptized. And look what happens immediately following that. He's led into the wilderness by the Spirit, the same Spirit that fell on Jesus at his baptism, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, i got to tell you, it's a season of Lent. If you don't know, if you've not really had a lot of experience with that, this is the time of year where we acknowledge our sins, we, we acknowledge our need for repentance. And um, I was very blessed last week. Many of you came to our Ash Wednesday service in the sanctuary. We had over 150 people who were coming and who came to that service. And I can remember during a portion of the service as people were coming up, and everybody comes to that service to have ashes smeared on their forehead. And I do a really good job of doing that. I just smear it right on. And I was thinking, you know, what's, what's fascinating is that when we come to that service, we are all acknowledging at least two things about ourselves with those ashes. The first thing we acknowledge about ourselves is we're going to die. We're mortal. And the second thing we acknowledge about ourselves is that we are sinners. We're broken. We need forgiveness. We need the grace of God. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you, do, you can't go anywhere else in all of creation where you're going to hear that kind of message. They will not tell you that at Publix, will they? They won't tell you that at Bank of America. You're going to die. You need to repent. But we do it here at the church, and yet there is a grace, there is a sweetness of being able to come into a place together like we are here and to say, you know, I'm really broken and I am misshapen and I really need the grace and the forgiveness and the help of God. It's beautiful to be able to say that. And so, you know, what I was thinking that we would do for these next uh, few Sundays, five, for the next five, including today, before Palm Sunday, and since it is the season of Lent where we acknowledge our sins, is that we might begin to think about what our church tradition has called the seven deadly sins. You ever heard of this? Or maybe if you're Catholic, you've heard it as the mortal sins, or maybe it's the capital vices. We're going to kind of study a few of them, not all of them, but just five of them. And the thing is that every one of us suffer from the seven. Do you know what the seven are? I always have to write this down. What's the first one? Anybody know? 
pride, pride. Pride, anger, gluttony, lust, greed, envy, and sloth. Now, we, we know these sins. We all suffer from them. Now, the difference is, though, some of us are more predisposed to some than others. That's kind of how it's understood. Like, you could be someone that's just angry. And I know what anger's like, but I'm not predisposed to it like you are. But maybe mine could be sloth, and you know what sloth is like, but maybe you're not as bent towards it as I am. And these are our vices. Now, the things about vices, I want you just to think about that word vice for just a moment. What is a vice? A vice is not necessarily a sin, although it is. A vice is considered when our sins become habits. Like some of us can have behavior. We, we can do things over and over again. It can become a habit. Our sins can become a habit. Once it becomes a habit, then it becomes a vice. And once it becomes a vice, then what it does to us, almost without thinking about it, it shapes our character in the wrong way. Does that make sense? So a vice is a predisposition. It's a habit that's become almost second nature, and it is misshaping you. Now, there is an opposite of a vice. The opposite of a vice is a, anybody know? Virtue, another V word. So a virtue is a holy habit that you keep working at, working at until it becomes second nature, and then it shapes our character for the good. So a vice is something that will, will kind of move you away from God's desires for your life. You can't ever get away from God, but it can move you away from God's desire for your life, and it can become habits. But yet virtues are those good habits that actually lead us closer to God's desires for us. That's kind of the school. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, what I thought we would do is we would kick things off with what has to be the most misunderstood of all the deadly vices or the deadly sins, and that is the vice of gluttony. Now, let me say something right off the bat here. Gluttony has very little to do with BMI, is that what it's called? Or scales or waistlines. And, and the problem is, and this is, this, is, this is just mean, is that we think gluttony only applies to certain people. What I'm going to tell you is that you can be a skinny mini. You could be like size one and be a glutton. Far more than someone who, is a, uh, who has a different size than you. So are you hearing me? Gluttony is not just for some and not others. Right? And gluttony doesn't necessarily have to be about food either. We kind of think it's just about food, although the tradition associates it with food, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about food, but it's not just food, and it's not just for certain people, okay? It's all of us. Don't you love it? You can come to church where the preacher says, you bunch of gluttons, you, you got to love that. All right, so uh, now I will tell you that there was a time when the great minds of the church thought gluttony was the deadliest of all the deadly vices. Not pride, but gluttony was the worst. And you can kind of understand why if you think about the, uh, the pattern of the Bible. Uh, this is right off the bat, free, pretty easy to understand. Think about the, how human beings sinned against God, how the first sin happened. So God says to Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, hey, indulge yourself on all the trees, all the fruit of all these trees except one. Don't eat from that one. And then what happens is that Adam and Eve, oh, it looks so good. And it was just so desirable and crunch. So the sin of humanity came by way of food. See? 
So that's why you know, gluttony's got to be the worst one. Or you think about the, the lesson I just read. You know, Jesus, he's just been baptized. He's being tempted by the devil. And notice that the very first temptation, it's almost a recap of Genesis. The very first temptation that the devil tried to tempt Jesus with was about what? It was about food. Can you turn these stones into bread? So throughout the Bible, I mean, we can think of, I don't want to go into all the details, bog it down, like Jacob and Esau. Esau was a character who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. There's a lot of characters in the Bible who succumb to the call of the stomach. And could not resist the food, despite what God had said. So this is a real thing. Uh, now, one of the reasons we tend to succumb to the, 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 the food stuff is because it tastes so doggone good. Right? I mean, God could have made everything taste like styrofoam. He could have. Or he could have made us eat like birds. Don't they just swallow their food whole for the most part? You know, we could just do that. I don't even know if birds have taste buds. But, man, God designed us to have taste buds. And we don't swallow our food whole unless you're 17 after a football practice. You know, we don't swallow our food whole. He has created us to chew this, which means God has actually created us to enjoy, to enjoy the pleasures of food. This is a gift. The problem, though, is that we can end up enjoying the pleasures of eating excessively. We can enjoy the pleasures of consuming too much. Really, all the seven sins that we're going to talk about is, is that we take the good gifts of God, something that he's created, and we just love them too much. So gluttony, if you want a definition of gluttony, gluttony is the sin of excessive love. Let me say that again. Gluttony is considered to be the sin of the excessive love of pleasure. The excessive love of the pleasures of eating or the excessive loves of the pleasures of consuming. And what will happen to us if this is where we're predisposed is that those habits, when we begin to love the pleasures of life too much, is that it can turn us, without even realizing it, into these pleasure-seeking animals where we are constantly thinking about how we're going to gratify our bodies, how we're going to feel full, how we're going to feel satisfied, and we're constantly thinking about that all the time. And then what happens is that life becomes all about me. It becomes all about my satisfaction. I don't care what you want. And it can kind of move us away from, from God in that way. Now, now, see, I'm the pastor, so I've got to be confessional. This is Lent. I know gluttony. I know gluttony pretty well. Um, I was the, this is embarrassing, but I was the guy, maybe some of you knew people like this, I was the guy in college, so when I would go out to eat with some of my friends at a restaurant or whatever, living on borrowed money, I would, uh, you know, while everybody's kind of sitting there eating, I would be the guy who would say, after I finished my meal, hey, you going to eat your plate? I'm serious. I did that all the time. And uh, one of my friends, his name was Brooks, he said, why don't we just bring, Shane just needs a food trough. He just needs to have a food trough with him at all times. Ne never mind that I just had a porterhouse steak. You know, I would just keep eating. I've, I've done this before, you know. Uh, the kind of joke around here at the church is, uh, well, just give Shane six pounds of bacon, he'll be fine. This is not a good reputation for me to have. <laughs> it's not. Last week, I had a member of the church uh, treat Kyle, Pastor Kyle and me, to lunch. This was great. And we went to this restaurant, and there are only three sizes of bowls you can choose from. You can take the small bowl, the medium bowl, or the large bowl. Well, I've never ordered anything small or medium in my life, so I said, I want the large bowl. And then the member said, I want the large bowl. 
But Kyle said, I'll have the medium bowl, please. And I remember going, whatever. I said, look, I said, Kyle, don't you be bringing all that clergy moderation to this table. I said, you bring him a large bowl. And we insisted, and he got the large bowl. Then we made him eat the dessert. Afterwards, it's not going to one-up me in holiness, I tell you what. Now think about this. We, who like to think that we are the most advanced civilization in human history, don't we have the strangest relationship to food in human history? It's really bizarre. We'll watch the Food Network. While we obsess, I have to read the list here to you, while we obsess about carbohydrates, protein, fat grams, whether it's organic, gluten-free, fat-free, low-sodium, all-natural, vegetarian, piscatarian, ketogenic, neutrogenic, Mr. Atkins going to South Beach, all made with real primal chicken with a dash of sea salt under 1,000 calories. (laughs) This is crazy. I think the ancients will look at us and say, wow, that's an obsession. And what we're doing is that And Kyle, I have to credit him for this. He says, what we do is that we're still searching for that Holy Grail diet that will allow us to consume as much as we want without any side effects. Isn't there a way that we can just enjoy the pleasures of eating without, you know, any side effects? It can't be done. It can't be done. Michael Pollan uh, wrote a book several years ago called The uh, Omnivore's Dilemma. Any of you ever read this? So if there's a few of you have, best-selling book. He says that the food industry nowadays, they are adding flavor enhancers now to our foods. And what this is doing is that it actually makes us, it makes our foods taste better than what they would actually taste like if grown naturally. So those chips or that apple or whatever tastes better than what they're really supposed to taste like. And what he says is what this is doing to us is that it is turning us into kind of these addicts. And we're, we're constantly thinking about food, you know, it's turning us into gluttons. And we're constantly seeking the pleasures, right, these desires. Man, it's a strange relationship to food, and I've got one, you know. Um, Now, the medieval theologians, this is interesting, the medieval theologians broke gluttony down into four categories. For you note takers, you can take this down. Uh, I'll just go over two, but the other ones I'll go over very quickly. Gluttony can take the form of eating too sumptuously, which means you eat too many rich foods or expensive foods. You've got to have, I've got to have something that's costly, and it's got to be rich. There's that, eating too sumptuously. Then there's eating too hastily. You know what that means? Scarving it down, you know, the teenager, you know, who just had out of, out of practice. That could be gluttony if you do that constantly. Then there is eating too greedily. And then there's eating too daintily. Now, I never knew about the daintily. What is the daintily gluttony? You know what daintily means? I didn't know what this means. So look this up. So to eat daintily, this is someone, um, how can I say this? This is someone who is never satisfied with how the food looks or how the food's prepared. This is someone who will run the food server at the restaurant ragged just because they're not, they're not satisfied. So, so someone who eats too daintily, if this is their habit, this is someone who is, you could call them the all I want kinds of people. All I want. All I wanted, all I wanted was the toast to be slightly browned. This is too dark. All I wanted was a teaspoon of cream in my coffee. This is clearly a tablespoon. All I wanted was it to be seared on the outside. I, or, or all I wanted was it to be just a little bit of pink right there in the center. 
That's eating too daintily. Now, the thing is, is about the dainty eaters is that they, they, they have the appearance of being very modest. Well, we're very, we're very disciplined. No, because really what's underneath that is that they just want what they want and they can't be satisfied any other way. See, that's what gluttony is. It's all about my desires, my satisfaction. I got to have it my way. I don't care what you want. Eating daintily. You love that, right? I wish I would have had like a handkerchief or something. Then there's the greedy glutton. Now, I'm borrowing this from somebody else. Uh, the greedy glutton is the sneaky snacker. This is the person, I'm a sneaky snacker. This is the person, if there's food cooking in the kitchen, or if there's a cookie jar, this is the person who will walk into the kitchen, and, and this is someone who will just take a spoonful of it while nobody's looking, or take the, uh, eat the cookies in the cookie jar. What happens is that they will end up with a meal before the meal. Anybody ever done that before? Oh, man, I drive my wife crazy. I sm- it smells so good, I can't resist. I can't resist. The problem, though, with the greedy gluttons, and this makes sense, is that you end up taking portions uh, that belong to somebody else. But you don't care about the somebody else because why? It's all about you. You have to have your hunger satisfied. Your itch has got to be scratched. I don't care what anybody does. So the point of gluttony is it, it makes you, if it becomes a habit, all of us are gluttons in one way or other, but this is your habit. It makes you think only about my pleasures, my gratification, my satisfaction, my bodily urges, my bodily, whatever. I have got to be satisfied. And the problem, the danger in this is that the church tradition says this can turn you into a big child. You act like a child. You think about children. I mean, those of you with children, the only thing they care about is instant gratification right now. You know, my children are home on the weekends. I think I've said this before. How is it that my children only eat one meal a day at school, but when they're home, it's 15 meals a day? But, you know, children, that's just how they are, right? It's about what they want right now. If you give my kids, if you sit them down, they're going to kill me today. But if you sit my children down at a table, and if one of them happens to notice that the other one has maybe two grains of rice more than the other. It's like a cage match. Ronda Rousey, is that what? I mean, it's just bad. And, and the thing about gluttony, it, it makes us all about, I, I, have to be, I have to be satisfied right now. I can't wait. It's got to happen right now. And this makes us children. And, and, and the thing about the Christian tradition is that we're supposed to be the adults in the room. See, Christians, we call them disciples, and that's a word that you can get what? Discipline. We're supposed to be the disciplined people, to be able to say no to some things. And, and really what the Bible teaches in the New Testament is that when we are constantly, excessively trying to gratify our itches, our bodily itches, whether it's through shopping on an app today or, or whether it's eating, it, it, the more we're constantly desiring that, we are really not in control. We're actually slaves in that moment, scripturally speaking, to our impulses. You're not in control. We think we're in control. No, you're not. It's your urges that are in control. St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I can have anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. Sometimes our impulses can be the master of us when we're supposed to be the masters of our impulses. We've got to learn this. You know, and it takes some time 
to master your impulses. Uh, and there are two things that we can do in the, in the New Testament, and this really comes from Paul, that we can live according to the impulses of our bodies. And if we live according to the impulses of our flesh, we're always being pushed around, dragged around. You know, it's like a dog on a leash. You know, we're not in control. Or we can live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul says, if you live by the impulses of the Spirit, you're going to bear fruit in your life. And he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. You, you know what some of the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, patience, generosity or gentleness, faithfulness. And there's one more, the last one, self-control. Oh, that's a dirty word. I can be self-controlled. Yeah. We don't have to. We, we can learn some control, right? And, and that's a bad word, but if you think about it, if you've got self-control in your life, and this takes habits, I'm going to tell you some uh, habit you can do. If you become self-controlled, you will actually feel freer. You will be liberated. You will not feel controlled by your impulses all the time. I mean, you think about it this way. Uh, those who spend less than what they make, spend less than what they earn, they don't feel slaved. They feel good. But those who spend everything they have or spend more than they have, that's where the debt comes and there's all kinds of problems. Following me? Or you think about a married couple, uh, someone who is um, uh, committed to the same spouse all their lives. Yeah, it's work. But they feel freer for having limited and having self-control over these, these kinds of things. And so self-control, going back to my sermon on Revelation, is Christian resistance. Self-control says to a world, a culture of ours that says we are nothing more than quivering masses of desires that must be satisfied right now. If you've got the spirit of God, the self-control of God, you can say to that culture, uh-uh, I'm good. I don't need that. I've got enough. Wow. That's a dirty word too. Enough. We are called to be a people of enough. Isn't it funny how our bodies can tell us when we've had too much? It's like a tipping point inside our stomachs or whatever it is, you know. We bloated and belching, you know, Thanksgiving. And, and yet you don't find anybody, you don't meet anybody who wakes up in the morning going, Oh, my Lord, what's wrong? I prayed too much last night. Huh? But if we drink too much... Or eat too much. That's what, what happens. My wife gave me, I'm almost done. Uh, my wife gave me a, um, uh, a mug, a glass mug, many Christmases ago. And on this glass mug that I broke, uh, there was a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He's so quotable. But it, it, on the mug it said this, that we, we should thank God for beer and burgundy by not drinking too much of them. We should thank God. This is a gift. But we need to have enough. When we get out of control, that's when things begin to spiral out of control. So for every one of the vices, there is a virtue. And so the vice of gluttony has a corresponding virtue, and it's a fancy word called temperance. And temperance is simply a fancy way of saying learning to live with enough. Temperance is Christian resistance. It's a gluttonous culture that says you just exist to seek pleasure. How do you get temperance? You don't have to do anything. And what I mean by that is you just stop. Stop eating. You stop shopping for today. You just stop. It's nothing. But once you stop, then you realize, man, you ever stop? You ever fasted before and then you're like, oh, yeah, I got to have that. Yeah. 
And it's habits you have to build, but you just stop. It's one of the reasons we talk about at Lent uh, fasting. How many of you are giving? Well, don't, you don't have to do that. Some of you might be giving something up for Lent. The whole purpose of doing that, that's not a virtue. Fasting is not a virtue. Giving something up is not a virtue. The virtue is learning to live with enough. And when you stop consuming something, if you stop the consumption, no matter what it is, you eventually learn that, hey, I can live without this. I thought I couldn't live without it. No. And see, gluttony, when we're constantly seeking pleasures, it wants us to think that we can't live without whatever it is, but you can. And as Christians, we're not supposed to believe that our lives are just pleasure-consuming. As Christians, we're supposed to be the ones who say, hey, we don't just live by bread. Do you need food to survive? Do you need food to survive? Yes. But here's the difference for, for the followers of Jesus. We're the ones who believe, yes, you need to live by bread, but not by bread alone. We're the ones who say, no, our true nourishment is supposed to come from God. Whatever hungers you and I have, the hunger you feel in your body, that's a sign, guys, of what your body and your soul are truly craving, and that is God. There's nothing, there is nothing in this world that can satisfy our desires. I mean, if you eat lunch, how many of you are hungry right now? If you eat lunch in a couple of hours, you are going to get hungry again. If you shop, you're going to get hungry again. Mick Jagger was right. Uh, 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 uh. I can't get no satisfaction. We should sing that as a closing song. That's right. That is the most theologically accurate statement ever in rock history. God designed us that way. We're not supposed to be satisfied. We can't get no satisfaction with the things of this world. Our true desire is to hunger for God. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And how, how wonderful, how wonderful that Jesus, his favorite analogy of himself was, I am food. I'm food for you. I want to be food for you. I want you to feast on me. Man, this is what we're called to be. And Jesus offers himself through, through, through bread. But it's the grace that we find in that bread and in this bread. That's our true source of nourishment. So come hungry. But come hungering for God. And you'll receive just a little bit. We don't, we don't give you the whole loaf. Well, some people actually do break off too much. I'm teasing. <laughs> Well, we just give you enough, right? This is enough, and, and, and that's all you need. This is all you need. So, Lord, I pray for these, your people, that we come to this table hungering for you. And I, and I pray that your spirit would be upon this meal of bread and wine. And how wonderful that you did not give us a meal of bread and water. You gave us bread and wine. Wine is a feasting. It is for rejoicing. But we don't need too much. And help us be satisfied with your enough that we can learn the self-control of the Spirit so that we might be truly free as your people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We hope that you enjoyed it. For more information regarding what's going on at Harrison Church, how you can get involved, or upcoming events, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.